apart from ice cream, one of the greatest joys in life has to be our friendships. Let's be real, like one of the actual greatest joys in life has to be our friendships. And when you're younger, it's a whole lot easier to make friends, right? Because you're at school, you're hanging out with the same people every day, you're hanging out at lunchtime and you've got sleepovers and birthday parties and the whole deal. And if you can't hang out with that friend, well, you're just gonna go hang out with that one. And if they're unavailable, you're gonna go and connect with another group. But what I've observed in life is as you get older, we care less for having lots of friends and we put more value and appreciation on just having a few quality ones. We don't have time for the drama anymore that can sometimes come with a lot of friends and we just want three, four, maybe five quality friends that will be with us through thick and thin. And friendships, they bring like a richness to life, but they don't always go smoothly. Right? Sometimes you can have a disagreement or a falling out with a friend. Sometimes you can leave, find yourself reconsidering a particular friendship. I remember one occasion like it was yesterday. I was in year eight at Farm Cove Intermediate over in East Auckland. Now for some of the older ones, that's form two, all right? Form two or year eight. And me and my best friend Dale, we would always walk home together after school. Now we would go and wait for the other outside their classroom, depending on who got out first. And on this particular day, final day of the school term, I got out first, so I went and waited for Dale outside his woodwork class. Eventually he gets released and he comes out holding this giant wooden xylophone. And I'm like, that looks mean. And he comes straight up to me and he says, here bro, you can have this. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, I know that sounds ridiculous because those are really usually made pretty poorly and parents say, you've done a good job, but have they? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I was genuinely pumped. I'm like, my school holidays are going to be sick. Ding, 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 ding. I'm going to play this thing. Like, <laughs> I was pumped. I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, yeah, I spent all term making it, but I don't really want it, so you can have it. I was pumped. So we start walking home, and about five minutes into the journey, Dale turns to me and he says, actually, I've changed my mind. I want it back. I was like, no, 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 no. You can't do that now. I was like, don't dog the boys. This is not how this works. You're not allowed to do this. And he says, I made it. I said, but you gave it. And so we had this argument for a couple of minutes going back and forth before I eventually conceded and handed it back over to him. And then we separated ways, very angry at each other. Now it was one of those awkward situations, you know, when you say bye to someone, but then you have to go the same way. Yeah. Like, see you later. Oh, see you later, you know? Like, so... We parted ways, but we walked the same way home. So we're walking on opposite sides of the same street, going home, just yelling abuse at each other from across the street. <laughs> it's ridiculous. The worst thing is that it was on the last day of the term. And as 12-year-olds in year eight, we had every intention of hanging out every single day in the school holidays until this point. Now, throughout the holidays, we didn't make a single like, moment of contact. There was no contact whatsoever. And it came to that fateful first day back at school. So we turn up on that first day, as it was in Farm Cove Intermediate, handball was all the rage. And he was playing handball. I was the handball champ, so obviously I was going to join the game because when you're a king, you've got a throne to protect. So I, I stepped back into the game. We're playing handball. A few words of exchange and a few like, moments of conversation. And then all of a sudden, it was like, bam, friendship back on. It was like nothing ever happened. It's like we forgot. It was just, we got left it unspoken. The friendship was back on, and it's like we forgot that had ever happened. And neither of us would admit it, although I kind of am now, but... That was the worst school holidays ever. Like it was the worst two weeks, knowing that we both wanted to hang out each other, but not being the one to like give in and, and, to, and concede to that. I remember in that moment being so angry at my friend Dale, but the truth is he's still one of my closest friends. And although we had that disagreement and that falling out, I know that he means well for me and I know that he wants me to succeed in life. But sometimes we find ourselves paired up against a friend in a dispute, questioning a particular friendship. When you're young, you have lots of friends. 
Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to be very accommodating. You're trying to appease that loudest voice in your mind. It's the voice that's yelling, find somewhere to belong. And when you're young, this is the loudest voice that you ever hear. Find somewhere to belong. Find people that will accept you. Find people that will make you feel good. And the challenge for young people is to make wise decisions around who it is they allow into their friend circle. In our time as youth pastors, this was the reoccurring theme. This was the front and center focus of almost every single teenager. Who is it that I'll let in and who is it that I'll shut out? Who can speak into my life and who is merely offering a self-serving opinion? Who genuinely wants to bring the best out of me and who actually just wants to use me? Have you ever found yourself being poorly influenced by those that you've led in close? I'll admit, I'll be the first one to admit, I've made a lot of mistakes in life. I've made a lot of decisions. I've gone places. I've done things all the while knowing that they weren't good ideas, but simply being influenced by those I had led in close. And when we give someone that title of friend, we let our guard down and we actually invite them to speak into our life. And this is really powerful, and it's not always a bad thing. It's good to have good friends that can speak into our life, but if we're not careful, it can lead to a whole lot of pain. You know, about 18 months ago, Darcy and I, we went over to the Gold Coast to a church planting conference. It was in preparation to learn as much as we possibly could before planting this campus. This is not like a phase. This is not like a project. We, know, we knew then and know now this is very likely to be the rest of our life. So we wanted to do the best job that we could. So we went over to the Gold Coast to learn from some of the best in the world that have done this thing before. But we wanted to tack on a few extra days at the end to go to the theme parks. Right, so we were dedicated to learning in that time. But while we're there, like, you, you got theme park people when you've got, I hate theme park people, right? Hands up if you're a theme park person. Yeah, my people. We wanted to have a bunch of fun at the theme parks. And we discovered that when you were there, there was a way to get a free ticket to one of the theme parks. All you had to do was sit through a presentation from one of the local hotel and resort chains. And we're like, that's pretty good. There was no pressure to buy anything. You just had to sit through a two-hour presentation, and then at the end of that, you would get your free ticket. We're like, bargain, let's do it. So we sign up. We turn up the next day and we check in and we wait before we get ushered into the presentation room. When we get in there, we realize that we're one couple of maybe 12, maybe max sort of 15 couples. Every couple has a table with little name tags on the front facing forward. The staff member comes in, they warmly welcome us, they give us coffee. Everything seems to be going amazing until, until it gets even better. I'm telling you, these guys were amazing. Every table had a staff member that would come and they asked us our names, which were on the name tags. They, they started to ask us about us, our story, get to know us personally. They welcomed us warmly. They were articulate, clear. They asked the right questions. We genuinely felt like everything was going really well. The presenter came out and he began to paint this picture of holidaying all around the world. Like he shared this beautiful vision. And as I sat there, I was like, that does sound amazing. What they were presenting was this program where you can buy credits and you spend the credits on hotels around the world, but they're your credits once you've bought them. You can reuse them again every year. So every year you would spend your credits, go on a holiday, then next year you could reuse them again and again and again for the rest of your life. Like it sounded like a good idea. I was like, that's awesome. We get to invest into our future. It all seemed to be going well. It all seemed like a genuinely good idea to invest into our future, to secure holidays where that financial burden of saving for them every year was no longer a challenge. But there was, of course, an upfront cost. You had to pay for the credits, but they were really expensive because obviously they're not going to get any more money out of you. You, you re reuse them every year. But the thing that seemed interesting is that they were on offer that day 
and never again. It seemed really weird to me that if the offer could be made, I wasn't allowed to go and think about it overnight and come back and buy them the next day. I wasn't able to go and ask a friend for some advice. I wasn't able to go and do some research to discover what this was all about. But they were on offer right now, today, in this moment, and never again. Despite this, after considering all that had been presented in such a brilliant way, we actually decided to buy some credits. Now, we didn't buy a crazy large amount, just enough that would be enough for one holiday every year. Um, and then after signing the contract, they invited us back to this big buffet breakfast free of charge the next morning. I was like, this is amazing. Like, these people are so good. This is such a good deal. So excited to invest into our future. It wasn't until we got home and I did some more research. I started to Google it and look at the feedback and like everything was like one star. And it turns out that we made a big mistake. And it wasn't illegal, it wasn't a con, otherwise they wouldn't be able to do what they do. It just turns out using those credits was far more difficult than they made it out to be. Like they would just increase the cost of the hotels, but you've still left with your same amount of credit. So it became more and more difficult. But luckily we discovered a legal loophole called a uh, cool down period, which meant we were able to go back the next day, cancel the contract and get a full refund, which is a big sigh of relief. And but when we told them we wanted to cancel the contract, they allowed us to because they legally had to. But then they were like, that's fine, but you're no longer welcome to the buffet breakfast, which we were okay with. We just wanted to get out of there with our refund, but it further exposed their attitude towards us. Now, this whole thing was a roller coaster ride. This wasn't even that long ago. We would consider ourselves smart and switched on people. And as I think about it, I couldn't believe how we found ourselves in the middle of it. Like I had never been in an environment that was such a well-oiled machine. At the time I was thinking, this is a good idea. This makes sense. Our agent knows us personally. He's made personal recommendations. Our best interests have been considered and yet none of this was true. They wanted our money and had no interest in whether or not we would actually take advantage of these holidays we had supposedly bought. They manipulated, they coerced, they did whatever they needed to do in order to get what they wanted to get. They were an enemy disguised as a friend. We felt that we had made friends with something that ended up only wanting to rob and take away from our life. I want to read you a verse, and we're going to go through it together. This is our main portion of Scripture this morning. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1 to 4. It says, when you go out to fight your enemies and you face horses and chariots and an army greater than your own, do not be afraid. Not if you do, but when you do. When you fight an army that is greater than your own, which you inevitably will in life, do not be afraid. It says, the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt is with you. When you prepare for battle, the priest must come forward to speak to the troops. He will say to them, listen to me, all you men of Israel. Do not be afraid as you go out to fight your enemies today. Do not lose heart or panic or tremble before them, for the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies. Everyone say enemies. He will fight for you against your enemies and he will give you victory. This is one of the most incredible promises in Scripture. God, He isn't saying that you won't have battles. In fact, He's saying you will have battles, you will have opposition, but that you don't have to fight those battles alone. He's saying that when you come up against your enemy, that God would step in and help fight your enemies for you. He would fight against the very thing that tries to rob God's best away from your life. Here's the catch. God doesn't get to decide who it is that you would hold to be a friend or an enemy. He doesn't. I can't tell you that you have to be friends with the person next to you. I could tell you that, but probably to no effect. 
I can't ask you to hold someone as an enemy and genuinely expect you to do that. But the line, the divide between friend and foe is a line in the sand that each one of us has to draw individually, personally for ourselves. That's an amazing promise that God makes. But if you were to reflect and be honest on your own life, do you find that you live a different reality? Like God would fight our enemies and yet I find that I still have enemies. Maybe that's your situation. Come on, how many would say, I've been praying that God would come in and fight the enemy of anxiety in my life, but nothing has changed. The anxiety is still there. How many would say, I know that scripture is clear about sexual impurity because it, it describes that, that when I engage in that, it connects me to another person in a way that was intended for marriage. And as I read scripture and I see God's warnings on the destruction that this can bring, in plain reading, it makes sense. And, and I want to believe it. I just, like, I, I read the words, it's just too hard not to. And maybe you've prayed, God, like, I need breakthrough in this. I need help. I need this to be easier. But you find that it just hasn't got any easier. And after all these years of trying and praying and hoping that something would change and improve because it hasn't, You've just grown somewhat comfortable. You've come to accept that these things are in your life. And you say things like, well, I'm just an anxious person. And maybe you joke about it, but you know it's actually not funny at all. Maybe you start to justify the sexual impurity, the pride, the greed, these different things in your life. You say, if it was God's plan for me to live without these things, then it wouldn't be so hard, right? And people say things like, everyone's got their sin, you know, this is just mine. Can I say, when we do this, what we're doing is we're befriending the enemy. We know deep down that we don't want these things in our life, that they're not God's best for our life, but we keep finding ourselves back in the same spot, repeating the cycle, frustrated, tired, hurt, wondering why God hasn't come through on His promises. Maybe your heart is right. You read God's word. You're like, I, I believe it. Like, I want to live that way, but it's just too hard. Maybe you relate to the struggle of Paul in the Bible. Paul was just like this. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And in uh, Romans chapter 7, we're going to read this together. It's a little long, but go with me because it's really important. Maybe you relate to Paul's struggle. Uh, I suspect many people in this room would relate to it. Paul says this in Romans 7 verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law. He's like, the trouble is not with what God is asking me to do for it's spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. That's huge. That's a very humbling thing to be able to say. To read God's word and say, the problem is not with the law. The problem is not with God's heart towards me. The problem is not with what he's asking me to do. The problem is with me. He says, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I end up doing what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. Because if I have a conscience to understand that what I'm doing is wrong, it shows me that the law is achieving its purpose to highlight in my life what isn't right. So I am not the one doing wrong. It's sin in me that does it. This is interesting, right? This is not Paul shifting the blame, but he's separating his identity from the struggle of sin. Yeah, yeah, I'm responsible, but that's not me. That's not the real me. It's the sin in my life that is leading me to do this. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. He says, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do, sorry, this is, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I end up doing it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. 
He says, I've discovered this principle in life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I love this. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love this. He's like, what a wretched man I am. I'm miserable. I can't figure it out. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. I want to avoid what is wrong, but I find myself doing it anyway. How will I find the answer? What what is the solution? What is the way through? He says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank God we have someone to look to. Thank God we have an example in life that we can base our life off of. He says, so you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Now, remember when we read that promise that God made, he says, for the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies and he will give you victory. See, some of you are at your wit's end because you feel like you're facing and battling the same battles, but you're not actually fighting any battles at all. God's promise is that he would help us to fight our enemies. He doesn't say he'll help us to fight our friends. And some of us have made friends with the very things that are trying to rob away from our life. The very things that are trying to rob God's best away from our life. We've befriended these very things. God isn't into splitting up friendships, but He will fight your enemies. But He will only go to war against the the things that we first declare war against. And so the problem is not with God. The problem is with me. And perhaps the problem is with you. We say, God, I I really want healing from that struggle that I face. And yet it's the same condition that we leverage to get the attention that we want. We've befriended the enemy. We say, God, would you fight my enemies? And God's like, yeah, I will because I'm faithful on my promises. But as I look, I don't actually see any enemies. I just see a handful of really questionable friends. But if you would declare war against them and draw a line in the sand and declare them as being in opposition to your life, then I'll come fight. My, my, my promise was always to come and fight your enemies, not your friends. And God wants to jump into your army. But we first must declare war. The Bible says that if God is for you, who could be against you? Right? That's a rhetorical question. He's not saying you won't have battles. He's not saying you won't have opposition, but that they simply would not get the better of you. I'm believing that 2020 is going to be a year of significant breakthrough in your life. It has to be. We believe in that. It's a year where you're going to grow to know God more intimately where He's going to use you to make an impact in this community and where you're going to see more of His promises come to pass. But I know that for many of us, in order to see this happen, we have to change the friendship status on some of our relationships. And I'm not just talking about the people that we have relationships with, although the people may be part of your picture. But I'm talking about making practical steps to declaring war against the things that try to rob away from our life. In 2020, we need to stop treating anxiety like a friend. Stop treating sexual sin like it's a welcome visitor in your life. Stop making arrangements for greed and pride to feel comfortable in your world. These things are not friends. And with God's help, we can rid these things from our lives. I love Hebrews 12 verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses by the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. You know what friends do? Friends want the best for you. Friends support you in your convictions. Friends want to draw the best out of you. But enemies, enemies want to see you stumble or fall. Enemies 
any friendliness that they have comes with ulterior motives. They want to have power over you. And God will help you fight your enemy so that you can have freedom. But we first have to declare war. Here's a few ways that we can declare war in our final moments together. A few ways that we can declare war against those very things so that God can come into our army and help fight them as we head into 2020. The first thing is this. Number one, pick your team. Pick your team. It's so important that we make it black and white, crystal clear. Decide today who is on your team. You know, one of the most beautiful tools that we have is God's Word. It's not just a book, but it's alive, it's active, it's living. It leads us to holiness and it reveals God's heart to us. And one of the most wise things that you could ever do with your life is to live your life based on its teachings. And so going into 2020, you need to decide who is it that's on your team? Who is it that's welcome in your life and who is it that's not? And again, I'm not just talking about people. It doesn't matter how long you've been friends with that thing. God promises to fight our enemies, not our friends. So we need to take a stand against those things that are not for us. For some of you, 2020 is a year where you need to declare war against stress, worry, anxiety, fear. Why? Because 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power of love and a sound mind. If fear and timidity are not from God, they're not for you. And as we step into 2020, we need to be able to draw that line in the sand and say, God's word is true. God's word is for me. If it's not from God, it's not for me. Maybe some of you, you've made friends with hopelessness. You've buddied up with this idea that you're not significant, that there's no purpose to your life. The devil is a liar. There is purpose on every single one of your lives. You are not just a number. You're not just here to fill up a crowd, but God thought of you and had a plan for your life when he created you. And I know that the devil is a liar when you feel feelings of hopelessness and lack of purpose because Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. There is hope for your life. There is a future that lays right in front of you and we've got to grab a hold of this. What I want, what I want you to do is I want you to declare war right now because I'm believing that God's speaking to every person. There's something in your life that you've befriended and as a result, God can't fight that for you because he only ever promised to fight your enemies. I want you to take your notes or your phone or something that you can write down on. And I want you to write down something that you had previously befriended, but right now in this moment, you're declaring war against. I want you to write it down. If you need to write it at the bottom and fold over the page to keep it private, that's fine. In your diary, write it in your phone. I want you to actively do that now. This is part of the process of you declaring war, saying no longer will I buddy up and accept this thing in my life when I know that it's not God's best. And I believe as you write that down, as you think of it, as you churn this over, you've already sent an invitation out to God to come and join your army in that. It's time to name and shame our enemy. Serve them notice. Let them know that your God is bigger and their time is coming to an end. Pick today who is in your team and who is not on your team. Who is invited into your future and who is it that needs to get off at the next stop? Number one, pick your team. And the second and final thing is serve your enemy notice. Serve your enemy notice. I remember a few years ago uh, playing a card game with some friends. And in the card game, everyone has a secret identity that you're trying to figure out to see who's on your team and who's in the other team. Like who's the good side and who's the bad side, who are like the outlaws. Like if you've ever played the game of Mafia, it's like a card version of that. 
And so we're playing this game and there's like the outlaws and there's the renegade who just wants to kill everyone. I love being the renegade because you just, you're a one man team. And I remember playing this game a few years ago with a bunch of friends. And one of those people was a really good friend of mine, Adrian. He's a pastor at our Botany campus. He is a pastor. <laughs> and we're playing this game. And right from the start, he whispers in my ear, same team, bro, same team. And I'm like, how does he know? Like, he hasn't seen my card. Don't judge me. You don't know me. But he's just so convinced. Same team, bro, same team. I'm like, mm, not sure about that. He's like saving my life in the game. He's like hooking me up with like the good cards. Like when it's discovered that there's an enemy against me in the game, he starts bad-mouthing them. He's like, yeah, bro, same team, same team. I become so convinced. Like he's not usually a good liar. And so like I just, I believe him. So much so that I'm like, we're in this together. We're the same team. And when he blindsides me right at the end and kills me and takes me out, I couldn't believe it. I was, I'm, I'm not bitter. I'm just disappointed <laughs> in myself. I got played. I remember being like, we're the same team. We're in this together. Like, we can't be separated. We're going after this thing together. And I remember being so upset. Turns out, old Pastor Adrian only ever wanted to use me for his own agenda. He only ever wanted to take something from me, take me for the ride and put me off at the end. And I know it seems a little silly, but I thought of that when considering what sin does in our life. Sin is only ever there to take away from you. Sin is only ever there to tear you down. And it doesn't matter how good it seems in a moment, how convincing it seems in a moment, it's only ever there to tear you down. And the sooner you can come to understand that your identity is separate and different from the struggles and the challenges that you face, the sooner you'll find freedom. You know, the language that we use carries the power of life and death. So when you speak about your proverbial enemies, you need to make sure that you're letting them know that you exist and find value separate from them. And so my tip to you is to not use identity, including language. What do I mean? You are not an anxious person. You're not. You simply are not an anxious person. You are a person who is currently facing this challenge of anxiety. And those two things are very different. Let that enemy know that it's there temporarily, that its time is coming to an end. See, an enemy wants something from you, so don't resource the enemy. They want your resource, your time, your focus, and your devotion, but they don't actually care about your well-being. Focus in and feed what is good in your life and deprive the enemy from taking ground. I love this quote by an old uh, ancient American Indian chief called Sitting Bull. That's a cool name. He said, Inside me, there are two dogs. One is mean and evil, the other is good, and they fight each other all the time. When asked which one wins, I answer the one I feed the most. Enemies don't get to speak into your life. Anxiety doesn't get to speak into your life. Desires of the flesh don't get to speak into your life. Insecurities don't get to speak into your life. Only a friend gets to speak into your life. And the greatest news is that God declares us friends. That he says, we are children of God. Anyone that has given their life to Jesus who has been made brand new and set on course for a purpose ahead of them has been given brand new life and we're considered friends of God. Excellent, you can join me. That'd be awesome. Decide who your enemies are and begin to dismantle them with your language. Decide on this day who is on your team and who is not. 
And as we make that declaration of war against things that only ever try to take away from us, that declaration is also an invitation for God to come and fight our enemies. You are not an uncertain or an unsure person. You are called, chosen, you're a loved child of God, and you're currently facing the challenge of uncertainty. It's not who you are. It's just what you face. You are not a failure. You're not a disappointment. You're not greedy or stingy, but you are God's handiwork, created for good things, designed to live a life of influence, of generosity and impact. You're just facing some challenges in this season. But now that you've declared war, you can be confident stepping into 2020 that God will step in to join with you, to partner with you, to fight your enemies. I don't know what it is that you wrote down. Maybe you just thought about it and didn't write it down. It's all good. I'm not checking your homework. But I wanted you to consider something that perhaps seems to be sticking around far longer than you want it to. And often our response as humans is to blame someone else. But I love what Paul said. The problem is not with God's law, for it's righteous and good. The problem is with me. And maybe the problem is with us today that we're looking at it all wrong that we have to declare war against these things that try to snuggle up against us. Maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's stress. I don't know, stress isn't necessarily a sin. It's a, it's a human response, but when it gets the better of us, when it begins to lead our life, then perhaps it is. I don't know what it is, but I wanna pray for you today that as we declare war together against these things, that God is immediately gonna start to bring some freedom to your life. He's gonna give you the wisdom, the strategy. He's gonna bring the strength of a community around you and he's gonna to start to fight your enemies for you. So I wanna invite everyone to close their eyes. We're gonna to pray together.